السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Two weeks ago we left off Two weeks ago we were studying the hadith of Hijrah of Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha and inshallah we'll continue with that today. As I've mentioned before in the introduction, this is the famous hadith of Hijrah related by Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha from Sahih al-Bukhari. The book is Kitab al-Manaqib al-Ansar. the book of the virtues and the merits of the Ansar companions. And the specific chapter is Babu Hijrat al-Nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ashabihi ila al-Madina. Chapter of the emigration of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions to Medina. The hadith number from uh, Sahih al-Bukhari itself is 3905. And from the abridged version of Tajrid al-Sarih, the hadith number is 1593. The part where we left off is where Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiyallahu an had left Mecca with the intention of emigrating to Abyssinia. following in the footsteps of the other companions who had already left. Abu Bakr radiyallahu an intended to go alone. The previous groups had left in parties. And there he met Ibn al-Dughunna, with whom he had a very interesting conversation, after which Abu Bakr radiyallahu an was persuaded by Ibn al-Dughunna not to leave and to actually return to Mecca. And Ibn al-Dughunna also granted him his jiwar, his protection. So Abu Bakr radiyallahu an returned and the protection was accepted by the Quraysh on the condition that Abu Bakr radiyallahu an would worship in the privacy of his home. But later Abu Bakr radiyallahu an It appeared to him, he revised his opinion, and he decided not to continue worshipping in the privacy of his home, but rather to build a masjid, or 
It may have been a structure or just a demarcated area in the courtyard of his home, uh, in full public view, where he would sit and recite the Qur'an, and he would perform salah, and all of this would be done publicly. So the children, the women folk of the Quraysh would gather around him and listen to him and watch him and marvel at him, since Abu Bakr was very soft-hearted and he would weep excessively upon the recitation of the Qur'an. And the women folk and the children of the Quraysh, as well as others, the wording of the hadith is they would actually fall upon each other, rush towards him and fall upon each other in listening to him and observing him. So this alarmed the Quraysh, and they did not wish to continue uh, allowing this to happen. And in fact, they, the reason for their alarm and fright was that they said Abu Bakr's recitation of the Qur'an and his public performance of the prayer will beguile and bewitch and seduce our children and our women folk, uh, seduce in the sense that it will attract them and allure them to his religion. So they wanted to put stop to this. So they summoned, they sent word to Ibn Dhunna and requested him to come and see them so that they could negotiate or renegotiate the protection that he had granted to Abu Bakr and their acceptance of that protection. So this is where we left off. And this alarmed the leaders of the Quraysh, the chieftains of the Quraysh, from amongst the pagans. فَأَرْسَلُوا إِلَى ابْنِ الدُّغُنَّةِ So they sent word to Ibn الدُّغُنَّةِ فَقَدِمَ عَلَيْهِمْ So he came to them. فَقَالُوا So they said, إِنَّا كُنَّا أَجَرْنَا أَبَا بَكْرٍ بِجِوَارِكَ Verily we had granted Abu Bakr protection through your guarantee. عَلَىٰ إِنْ يَعْبُدَ رَبَّهُ فِي دَارِهِ On the condition that he would worship his Lord in his house. فَقَدْ جَاوَزَ ذَلِكَ But he has gone beyond this. فَابْتَنَا مَسْجِدٍ بِفِنَاءِ دَارِهِ So he has built a masjid in the courtyard of his home. فَأَعْلَنَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَالْقِرَاءَةِ فِيهِ And he has made public prayer and recitation therein. وَإِنَّا قَدْ خَشِينَا And indeed we have feared أَنْ يَفْتِنَ نِسَاءَنَا وَأَبْنَاءَنَا That he will seduce and beguile our women folk and our children, فَنْهَ So prevent him. فَإِنْ أَحَبَّ أَنْ يَقْتَصِرَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَعْبُدَ رَبَّهُ فِي دَارِهِ So if he wishes to confine himself to worshipping his Lord in his house, فَعَلْ Then he can do so. وَإِنْ أَبَى But if he refuses, إِلَّا أَنْ يُعْلِنَ بِذَلِكَ Except to announce this and perform this publicly, then ask him that he revokes your guarantee, i.e. he returns your guarantee to you. For indeed we dislike the thought of violating your guarantee. And neither are we going to allow 
Abu Bakr to make this public. That's a, a simple, literal translation of that part of the hadith. So they summoned, they didn't actually summon because uh, Ibn Dhunna was a leader and a chieftain of a tribe himself, Sayyidul Qara. And he was a powerful man in his own right. That's why when he gave Abu Bakr radiallahu an jiwar and protection, he visited all the chieftains of the Quraysh. He went to all their gatherings at night and told them that I have granted Abu Bakr protection. And it is under my guarantee of security that he returns to Mecca. And none of the Quraysh were able to resist or reject his granting Abu Bakr protection. So they didn't summon him because he was an equal. Rather, they sent word to him requesting him to visit them so that they may discuss this. So Ibn Dhunna came, and remember, he was, he was a non-Muslim himself. He shared their religion. So they told him that, look, Ibn Dhunna, we accepted your guarantee in relation to Abu Bakr. You granted him his, your protection, and we accepted that. But he was only on the understanding that he would worship his Lord in the privacy of his home. He's gone beyond that. He's made it public. And what concerns us about the fact that he's made his prayer and his recitation public is that this will mislead our people. This will bewitch and beguile them. It will seduce them. And we fear that his public performance of prayer and recitation will allure them and attract them to his religion. So this has to come to a stop. So either you, through the power of your guarantee and your relationship with him, either you stop him from praying and worshipping publicly, or else revoke your guarantee and tell him to return your jiwar and your pact of security to you, and that you revoke your guarantee and you come out of the way between us, so that we can deal with Abu Bakr ourselves. Now, as I've mentioned before, on numerous occasions, there was no central authority, there was no law. So all laws, society was kept in order, was kept, peace and security were maintained by this balance of power. And as part of this balance of power, Jiwar was very important, the granting of security, protection. And he worked for both. So if someone had given protection, and then despite the granting of that protection, the one who was being protected, he was attacked or he was harmed in any way, then by law, by custom and convention, and by the demands of honour, the guarantor would have to retaliate. And if they failed to retaliate, then this was a blemish on them. It showed their weakness. And it was a thing of great dishonour to them. So they took Jiwar very seriously. So now Ibn al was in a predicament. 
So he then went to visit Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an, and this is a conversation that ensued. قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها أم المؤمنين عائشة رضي الله عنها says continuing with the narration of a hadith فأتبد الدغنة إلى أبي بكر so ابن الدغنة came to Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه for those of you who are familiar with the hadith or the Arabic the name ابن الدغنة can actually be pronounced both ways دغنة or دغنة so ابن الدغنة came to Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu. فقال, and he said, قَدْ عَلِمْتَ الَّذِي عَاقَدْتُ لَكَ عَلَيْهِ You know that, of which I agreed a pact of security for you. Meaning, you know the conditions. And the condition was that you worship your Lord in the privacy of your home. فَإِمَّا أَن تَقْتَصِرَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ so either you confine yourself to this, i.e. the worship of your Lord in the privacy of your home, or that you return your, or you return my pact of security to me, i.e. you renounce it, or either you return my Guarantee to me and renounce it. فَإِنِّي لَا أُحِبُّ أَن تَسْمَعَ الْعَرَبِ For indeed, I do not wish that the Arabs hear. أَنِّي أُخْفِرْتُ فِي رَجُلٍ عَقَدْتُ لَهُ That my guarantee for a man that I had set up for him and agreed for him was violated. The Arabs were very conscious, like anybody, of their sum'ah, their fame and their reputation. And what really mattered to them is what the other Arabs thought of them. When the Arabs used to say al-Arab, they meant all the Arab tribes, whether in the south of the Arabian Peninsula in Yemen, or even to the extreme north in the deserts of Iraq and Sham. So, wherever the Arabs were, they had certain traditions, customs, ideas, and hospitality, protection, loyalty, the bond of one's word and guarantee. All of these meant a lot, and reputation meant a lot. So, he says that if you carry on, oh Abu Bakr, if you carry on worshipping publicly, then this wasn't part of our agreement. And if you continue along those lines, then the Quraysh may harm you. And if they harm you, then I do not want anyone amongst all the Arabs to hear and say that Ibn al-Dughunna, the chief of the Qarah tribe, a man who was under his protection and guarantee was harmed, and Ibn al-Dughunna, that he was harmed. That meant that people felt bold enough to attack someone who was in Ibn al-Dughunna's protection. 
So he must be weak and powerless, so his protection may not mean much. So it was a thing of great dishonor and disrepute. So Ibn Dhunnah said, فَإِنِّي لَا أُحِبُّ أَن تَسْمَعَ الْعَرَبِ that I do not wish for the Arabs to hear that my guarantee was violated, that I had set up for someone. فَقَالَ أَبُو بَكْرَ So Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu said, فَإِنِّي أَرُدُّ إِلَيْكَ جِوَارَكَ Then, surely I return your guarantee to you. Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu renounced his guarantee. وَأَرْضَى بِجِوَارِ and I am content with the protection of Allah, the Almighty, the Exalted. SubhanAllah. If you recall the chain of events, Abu Bakr radiallahu had already felt his soul restricted and burdened in Mecca. And he had resolved to leave and he had left and he was only he had left to travel to habasha and join his fellow emigrants to be able to live and worship freely there ibn dhunnah was the one who convinced him to come back and granted him his protection so abu bakr radiyallahu anhu returned but he was not content with being compelled to worship Allah in privacy. And he was not at all happy at being prevented from worshipping Allah openly and reciting the Qur'an in public. So when Ibn al his guarantor, his protector, said to him that either you abide by this agreement or you renounce my guarantee so that I am no longer responsible for you, Imagine what the renunciation of that guarantee meant. It meant that now Abu Bakr was once again, in fact not once again, even more than ever before, exposed to the plots and the schemes of the Quraysh, who now singled him out. And this would mean inviting persecution. So Abu Bakr Rather than agreeing to continue worshipping Allah only in the privacy of his home, and rather than renouncing his choice of reciting Qur'an openly and praying publicly, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, you can have your guarantee back. فَإِنِّي أَرُدُّ جِوَارَكَ إِلَيْكَ Indeed, I return your jiwar and your protection and your guarantee to you. And I am content with the jiwar, the protection of Allah, the Almighty, the Exalted. Come what may. And this was the spirit of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. There was another Sahabi radiallahu anhu at the same time. A friend of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu Someone very close and beloved to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Someone who was actually very similar to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in many aspects. And that was Uthman ibn Mad'oon radiyallahu anhu. Uthman ibn Mad'oon radiyallahu anhu was the 14th Muslim according to some narrations in Makkah al-Mukarramah. He was actually the uncle. It was a whole family. This whole family known as the uh, the children of Mad'oon 
they were a remarkable family. Qudamat ibn Mad'oon, one brother, Uthman ibn Mad'oon, radiyallahu anhuma, the other brother. And Uthman ibn Mad'oon, radiyallahu he was persuaded to embrace Islam by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu And they were very similar in many aspects. Just like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiyallahu Uthman ibn Mad'oon, radiyallahu had never drunk a drop of alcohol, even in his jahiliyyah. They were both teetotal. Uthman ibn Mud'un radiyallahu he was also the uncle of the children, the maternal uncle. He was the brother-in-law of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu and the maternal uncle of Abdullah ibn Umar and Hafsa radiyallahu anhuma. So Uthman ibn Mud'un radiyallahu he was the fourteenth person to embrace Islam according to some narrations. And he was invited by Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu a great worshipper. And when the group of Muslims left to travel to Abyssinia, one of the Hijrats, Uthman ibn Mud'un was Amir over one of the large groups. He was actually the Amir. It was under his emirates and leadership that the group travelled to Abyssinia to do Hijrah. When they were in Habasha, during that period, Surah Najm was revealed. And it's a very powerful surah, Surah Najm, in terms of its Arabic, its rhetoric, its eloquence, its language, and the sheer force of the words and the poetry. Allahu Akbar. The Prophet ﷺ recited Surah Najm to the publicly. So the Quraysh were there, they were listening. And he, he deliberately recited it to the Quraysh. And the tempo of the verses, وَالنَّجْمِ إِذَا هَوَى مَا ضَلَّ صَاحِبُكُمْ مَمَا غَوَى وَمَا يَنْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَى إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيُ يُوحَى عَلَّمَهُ شَدِيدُ الْقُوَى ذُو مِرَّةٍ فَاسْتَوَى وَهُوَ بِالْأُفَقِ الْأَعْلَى ثُمَّ دَنَا فَتَدَلَّى فَكَانَ قَابَ قَوْسَيْنِ أَوْ أَدْنَى فَأَوْحَى إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَا أَوْحَى مَا كَذَبَ الْفُؤَادُ مَا رَأَى أَفَتُمَارُونَهُ عَلَىٰ مَا يَرَىٰ وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً And the verses continue all the way till the end. It's a very powerful surah. Towards the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the Quraysh says, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّى وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى أَلَكُمُ الذَّكَرُ وَلَهُ الْأُنْثَى تِلْكَ إِذَا الْقِسْمَةٌ ذِيزَى إِنْ هِيَ إِلَّا أَسْمَاءٌ سَمَّيْتُمُوهَا أَنْتُمْ وَآبَاؤُكُمْ مَا أَنْزَلَ اللَّهُ بِهَا مِنْ سُلْطَانٌ So, the, Quraysh, the meaning of these, of these verses is, have you seen Laat and Uzza and the third Manat? These were the goddesses. Laat, Uzza, and Manat. There are nine idols mentioned in the Quran. أَتَدْعُونَ بَعْلًا وَتَذْرُونَ أَحْسَنَ الْخَالِقِينَ Ba'al, known as Baal. So Ba'al, that's one God. One idol. Then the other three, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتُ وَالْعُزَّى وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى لَاتْ عُزَّى and مَنَاتْ And then the other, so these are four, and then the other five, وَدَّوْا وَلَا سُوَاعُمْ وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوقَ وَنَصْرًا 
These five. So the total of nine idols mentioned in the Quran. So Allah says, Have you seen Lat, Uzza, and the third goddess Manat? What should you have boys and he has girls? Meaning, these were goddesses that the Quraysh worshipped, the Arabs worshipped. Lat, Uzza, and Manat. And they were all, not gods, but goddesses. So, they regarded them as females, as goddesses. And furthermore, they all said that these are the Banatullah, these are the daughters of Allah. So the goddesses were the daughters of Allah. And the Arabs had this macho culture whereby they believed that sons were good and daughters were bad. So to the extent that not all, but some, it wasn't very common, but uh, it did happen. Some individuals buried their daughters alive immediately after birth. So, and they considered it a shame, an embarrassment to have a daughter. And as Allah mentions in another verse, وَإِذَا بُشِّرَ أَحْدُهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ يَتَوَارَى مِنَ الْقَوْمِ مِنْ سُوءِ مَا بُشِّرَ بِهِ أَنْ يُمْسِكُهُ عَلَى هُونٍ أَمْ يَدُسُّهُ فِي التُّرَابِ عَلَى سَاءَ مَا يَحْكُمُونَ That when one of them is given the glad tidings of the birth of a girl, then his face darkens. And he suppresses his rage. Darkens in disappointment and he suppresses his rage. He hides from the people. Owing to the ill news and the ill tidings that he has received. Thinking, should he hold on to this child in disgrace? Or should he thrust it into the soil? Not just bury it, should he thrust it into the soil, into the earth? Lo, evil is indeed what they decide. So this was the, there are other verses as well, which speak of the shame and the embarrassment that some of the Arabs felt upon the birth of a, of a daughter. Again, this wasn't very common, but it, it, it did happen and it was serious enough for the Quran to condemn it. However, it wasn't that it wasn't as widespread as we may think it was. So the and regardless if they practice infanticide or not, whether they buried their children alive, the others or not, even the ones who didn't, they still looked down on their daughters. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, have you seen Lat Uzza and the third goddess Manat? That these are goddesses and you call them the daughters of Allah. So, what should you have boys? And he has girls? This is, this is a novel division. This is a novel distribution. Then the Quran continues to say, these are but names that you have invented for which Allah has not revealed any proof. Now, the Quran, the, the Surah Al-Najm continues till the end. It's a very powerful surah. And towards the end, Allah tells them that prostrate to Allah and worship Him. So the sheer force and the eloquence of the verses of the Qur'an had mesmerized them. 
And they were in a trance when listening to that surah. So when the, word, when the, when the surah ends with the words, so prostrate to Allah and worship Him, all of them fell into sujood. All of them, including the Quraysh. Afterwards, they began questioning themselves and each other, why did we prostrate? Because word had spread that now all of the Quraysh are upon the religion of Muhammad. So some of them started making excuses for themselves. And no, no, we aren't, we don't agree with him. The only reason we're prostrated is because they couldn't resist the force of the Qur'an. But the, they, their arguments was the only reason we prostrated is because Muhammad praised our gods. And they interpolated verses in the narration of the Qur'an, even though the Prophet ﷺ had not said them. But they invented them. They were poets at the end of the day. And the verses which they interpolated, their interpolation was as follows. They claimed that the Prophet ﷺ said, أَفَرَأَيْتُمُ اللَّاتَ وَالْعُزَّةَ وَمَنَاتَ الثَّالِثَةَ الْأُخْرَى تِلْكَ الْغَرَانِيقُ الْعُلَى وَإِنَّ شَفَاعَتَهُنَّ لَتُرْتَجَى That these, have you seen Lat Uzza and the third goddess Manat? These are the high soaring birds. And verily their intercession is hoped for. So they said, now we have no disagreement with Muhammad. This is exactly what we say, that these goddesses are the daughters of Allah, the high soaring birds, and their, their intercession is to be accepted, and they will intercede on our behalf. مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَا إِلَى اللَّهِ الزُّلْفَى As Allah quotes them in another verse of the Qur'an, the Quraysh argued their stamps by saying, we do not worship these gods. إِلَّا لِيُقَرِّبُونَا إِلَى اللَّهِ الزُّلْفَى Except so that they may bring us and draw us closer to Allah. So our ultimate goal is Allah Himself. And these gods and goddesses and idols merely draw us close and they will intercede on our behalf. But our ultimate god is Allah. So the Quraysh said that Muhammad has praised our goddesses and there is no disagreements between us. So they only said this to justify their prostration. And these two verses, um, the, the, this interpolation, notoriously came to be known as the satanic verses. So... When word spread all across Mecca, it went beyond. And word actually reached Abyssinia. And there the Muslims who, were, who had taken refuge there, they heard, mistakenly, that all of the people of Quraysh, all of the Meccans have now embraced Islam. So in great joy, they hastily made, some of them, not all of them, hastily made their way, made their way back to Mecca al-Mukarramah. One of them who made his way back was a leader of the party, Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu anhu. It was only when they drew close to Mecca that they realized that the story was false and that this was the truth behind it. So now some of them were in two minds. What do we do? So some of them returned. Well, they were all in two minds. Some of them returned to Abyssinia. They actually went back. And others decided that since we've come so far, let us... They also heard that the, the number of Muslims has increased. Even though the Quraysh haven't embraced Islam, the number of Muslims has increased. So they decided to re-enter the city. But none of them could re-enter without jiwar, without protection, without some sort of guarantee. So 
even Uthman ibn Maz'un radiyallahu he found protection. And the person who gave him protection was one of the Ashraf and the Sanadid, one of the great chieftains and the elders of the Quraysh, none other than Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu an's father, al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. So al-Walid ibn al-Mughira gave Uthman ibn Mas'un radiyallahu an jiwar and protection. So Uthman ibn Mas'un radiyallahu an entered, re-entered Mecca after returning from Abyssinia after the story and false room of the Muslims, of the Quraysh becoming Muslim, under the protection of al-Walid ibn al-Mughira. Now when he entered, he lived under the protection of Walid ibn al-Mughira about the same time he witnessed the persecution and, Eve, uh, and the suffering of his fellow Muslims. And he constantly questioned himself. I relate this story. This is the part of the story that's connected to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu saying to Ibn al-Dughunna that, أرد إليك ذمتك, that I return your guarantee to you and I am content with the protection and the jiwar of Allah. And as I said, this was a spirit amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And this is the story of Uthman radiallahu anhu. So Uthman ibn Mud'un radiallahu anhu constantly questioned himself that I, those who have no protection other than the protection of Allah, the weak amongst the Muslims, they have no one to grant them jiwar and protection. So the ones who are under the protection of Allah are all suffering. And the ones who are under the jiwar and the protection of shaitan and his allies, they are all living comfortably. And he said, how can it be that I live in the protection of one of the pagans and I suffer no harm and I see my fellow Muslims suffering? in this manner and being persecuted. He said, by Allah, I will never be content with this. So he went to Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, the father of Khalid ibn al-Walid. And he said to him, oh my uncle, since he was very elderly, he said, oh my uncle, you granted me protection and you were faithful in your granting and fulfilling of that protection. And I'm grateful to you. However, I cannot see myself living comfortably and without suffering any harm in anyone's protection whilst witnessing my fellow Muslims being persecuted in this manner. So I wish to return your protection to you and to join my fellow Muslims in their state. So Walid ibn al-Mughira said to him, why has anyone hurt you in my protection that you wish to return my protection to me? Because for him this was of concern as well. That I, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, I grant my security and my protection to someone. And he renounces it. Why? Isn't my protection good enough? So he said to him, why? Has someone hurt you or harmed you? Has someone even abused you, my nephew? So he said, no. No one has abused me. And no one has hurt me in your protection. But this is a reason. So Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira said, well, just as I publicly announce my protection for you, you must renounce my protection publicly so that people won't be in confusion or in doubt about this and they will know your reason. So he said, fine. So Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira took him to Al-Masjid al-Haram 
around the Kaaba where the Quraysh were gathered in their numbers. So Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira stood up and said, All of you listen, O assembly of the Quraysh. Here is Uthman ibn Mud'oon, my nephew. He wasn't his real nephew. But he said, This is my nephew Uthman ibn Mud'oon. And I granted him jiwar and protection. But he insists on renouncing that jiwar and protection. And I want all of you to know that by Allah I have fulfilled my duty towards him. But he is the one who is adamant on renouncing that protection. So all of you bear witness. So Uthman ibn Mud'oon radiyallahu anhu stood up and said, I agree with what uh, Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira has said. He has honored his side of the bargain. But it is I who wish to renounce his protection. For I can no longer see myself living comfortably whilst others suffer. So the protection was now renounced. Shortly thereafter, the Quraysh were all gathered in an assembly where... A poet, Labid ibn, Labid ibn Rabi'ah, he was, reciting, he was reciting poetry. He was a poet himself. So he recited, they were all listening avidly to his poetry. And, he, and Uthman ibn Mud'un was seated there. And so was Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, the one who had granted him protection. So Uthman an was listening to his poetry. And Labid said, Allah. Even the Prophet ﷺ repeated this later. Lo, everything besides Allah is false and destined to perish. Allah, lo and behold, indeed every single thing, ma khalallah. Besides Allah, batilu is false. So Uthman ibn Mud'un radiyallahu anhu said, Sadaqt, you've spoken the truth. So Nabid continued, And every bliss is inevitably going to come to an end. So Uthman radiyallahu anhu said to him, Kadabt, you lie. So people were confused that why is Uthman saying about the first couplets, you've spoken the truth, and the second couplets, you've lied. So they were a bit bamboozled, but they didn't say anything. So they said to Labid, just as people say to poets, uh, repeat, repeat, karrir, karrir. So they said, a'id alayna, a'id alayna. Repeat it to us. So Labid repeated again, ala inna kulla shay'in ma khalallahi batilu. Lo and behold, everything besides Allah is false. So Uthman radiallahu said again, Sadaqt, you've spoken the truth. So, then he continued, And every bliss is inevitably and undoubtedly going to come to an end. So Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu anhu said, You lie. The bliss of Jannah will never end. So, Labid was offended. And he said, O oh, assembly of the Quraysh, how is this? This has never happened before. This is unprecedented. Someone cuts me in my poetry. So the Quraysh, one of them, he stood up. And inna lillah, he came and he slapped Uthman radiyallahu anhu. Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu And in doing so, he gave him a black eye. And, well, not immediate, but as in the words of the narration, فَاخْتَرَّتْ 
that the green that appears before the blackness in a black eye. So he slapped Uthman sharply across the face. So Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira was sitting there. So he said, Oh my nephew, if you had remained in my protection then this would have never happened to your eye. No, this would have never happened to you, and your eye would have never suffered. So Allahu Akbar. Uthman ibn Mud'un radiyallahu anhu said to him, O Walid, by Allah, this other good eye of mine is in need of what this eye has suffered. He said, you are in need of my protection. He said, no, by, by Allah, O Walid, this other good eye is in need of what my other eye has suffered. This, subhanAllah, this was the spirit of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an, Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu an, and the other sahaba radiyallahu anhum. Their belief in Allah and their trust in Allah, regardless of their momentary and temporal suffering. Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu an was so beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that when they traveled to Medina, he died in the... Uh, second year of Hijrah after the Battle of Badr. Some time after Badr, he died. And the Prophet wasallam, when he passed away, he he visited him. And the Prophet wasallam, bent over him and kissed him and rose. And according to some narrations, he kissed him, rose, wept, kissed him again, rose, wept, bent over and kissed him again, rose and wept. And because of his weeping, all of those who were present wept. And Prophet ﷺ also said to him, O Uthman, you have left the world in such a state that you were not touched by the world. You were not polluted or touched by the world. And then when he took him to bury him, Uthman, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, buried Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu an in Jannat al-Baqi'ah, Baqi'ah al-Gharqad. And do you know, he's the first person to be buried in Baqi'ah. He is the first person to be buried in Baqi'ah. And when he buried him, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, bring me that boulder so that I may mark the grave of my brother Uthman, so that when members of my family pass away, I wish to bury them close to him. What an honor. So one of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu went to pick up a boulder, but it was too heavy. So the Prophet himself went, rolled up his noble sleeves, and then he single-handedly picked up the boulder and came and placed it at the head of the grave of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And then, when his daughter Zainab radiyallahu anha passed away, he told the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, bury my daughter next to Uthman, near Uthman ibn Mad'un. She was very beloved to the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum, a remarkable companion. But Khaydan, the, the, the reason for me relating this story is, this is how Abu Bakr radiyallahu renounced the jiwar of a powerful person. And was content with the juwar and the protection of Allah. Uthman ibn Mad'un radiyallahu anh renounced the juwar of al-Walid ibn al-Mughira, one of the chieftains of the Quraysh, 
and was content with the juwar and the protection of Allah. But that was the spirit of the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And I related the story of Uthman radiyallahu anh in order to understand the significance and the impact of the words of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. That, فَإِنِّي أَرُدُّ إِلَيْكَ جِوَارَكَ وَأَرْضَى بِجِوَارِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجِلَ For indeed, I return to you your protection and I am content with the protection of Allah. Azza wa Jal, the Almighty, the Exalted. When Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yawma'idhin bi Makkah, Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha continues, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was that day in Makkah. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ لِلْمُسْلِمِينَ So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to the Muslims, إِنِّي أُرِيتُ دَارَ هِجْرَتِكُمْ Verily, I have been shown, I have been shown the abode and the place of your emigration. ذات نخل بين لابتين A place of palm groves بين لابتين Between two lava tracts And that was Medina وهم الحرتان The narrator of the hadith He says وهم الحرتان And the لابتين Are the The two لابس Are the two حرس He's just identifying them And what do the two لابس Or the two حرس Refer to the laba or the harra. This refers to the the two lava tracts to the east and the west of Medina. Medina, even then, wasn't a walled city. It was a, a collection of settlements in the oasis of Yathrib, spread over a large area, and it was very fertile land. But Although many parts of the oasis were fertile, to the west and the east of this oasis, as is evident even now, there is a lot of barren, infertile land, which is known as a lava tract, volcanic lava tract. So these are known as the Harratan or the Labatan. And this is what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam refers to. That, إِنِّي أُرِيتُ دَارَ هِجْرَتِكُمْ I was shown, i.e. in a dream, your place of emigration, a place of palm groves between two lava tracts. And that was Al-Madinatul Munawwara, at that time known as Yathrib. In another narration of Bukhari, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was shown his place of hijrah in the dream. And he initially thought it was somewhere else. So he actually says that my initial thoughts were that this was Yamama. He thought it was Yamama. فَإِذَا هِيَ يَثْرِبْ It was only then he realized that it wasn't Yamama. Or a second place is mentioned in the Hadith Hajar. So he was shown a place. It wasn't named. But he was shown a place where there were lots of palm groves, very fertile oasis. And initially he thought that this was Yamama. Or possibly a place called Hajar. But then he realized that it wasn't Yamama, or it wasn't Hajar, this was actually Yathrib. So he informed the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that Allah has shown me in my dream your place of Hijrah. And he described it to them. And then later he told them to begin emigrating to Yathrib al-Madinatul Munawwara. And people began emigrating. As I said before in the introduction, uh, Many people had left, approximately 70 to 80 Sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the only people who remained were the mustad'afun, meaning the weak ones who were unable to travel. 
women, children, old men, or those who were in captivity of some form, and only the family members of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu That's because he had intended to do hijrah to Medina, but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam stopped him, as we will actually learn from the hadith. So Umm al-Mu'minin Aisha radiyallahu anha continues, فَهَاجَرَ مَنْ هَاجَرَ قِبَلَ الْمَدِينَةِ So those who did emigrate, emigrated towards Medina. وَرَجَعَ عَامَّةُ مَنْ كَانَ هَاجَرَ بِأَرْضِ الْحَبَشَةِ إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ and most of those who had emigrated to the land of the Abyssinians, they also returned to Medina. So what a number of Sahaba radiallahu anhum did, those who had those who were in Abyssinia, as soon as they learned that the Prophet had instructed the companions to emigrate to Medina, they themselves began making their way. Some of them returned from the south and either re-entered Mecca and left very few, or passed by Mecca, or others, they actually did not come anywhere near Mecca, but they made their way directly from Abyssinia across the Red Sea, straight to Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara. وَتَجَهَّزَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ قِبَلَ الْمَدِينَةِ And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu made preparations to travel towards Medina. فَقَالَ لَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ so Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to him, Ala rislik, hold on, do not rush. For inni arju an yu'dhanali, for indeed I hope that I will be granted permission. SubhanAllah, despite all these pressing circumstances, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had no intention of making hijrah until Allah granted him permission. He instructed all the others, but he could not leave until Allah granted him permission. So he said, wait, do not make haste. For inni arju an yu'dhan ali, for indeed I hope that I will be granted permission. فَقَالَ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu said, وَهَلْ تَرْجُوْ ذَلِكْ بِأَبِي أَنْتْ That may my father be your, be your ransom. Do you really hope for this? قَالَ نَعَمْ The Prophet ﷺ said yes. Even though it's not mentioned here, it's mentioned in other narrations, that when Abu Bakr as-Siddiq learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he was going to, he was making preparations to leave himself. But when he learned that the Prophet ﷺ, when he said to him, wait, and he learned that he was traveling as well, and that the indication was that he wanted him to go with him, that's why he's telling him to wait. Abu Bakr began weeping out of joy. And remember, he, he, was, he was a very emotional, soft-hearted person. He wept when he recited the Qur'an. He wept in prayer. And he wept even on receiving good news. So Aisha who was very young. She says that in one narration, that before that day, I never knew that someone could weep so excessively upon good news. For, he, for my father, I saw him weep profusely out of joy and sheer happiness at what the Prophet ﷺ told him. But subhanAllah, as I mentioned two weeks ago, he may have wept in prayer, in recitation, in salah. He may have wept in on receiving good news, so much so that even his daughter was surprised. Yet that's, and he was so soft-hearted, so tender, so emotional. 
And yet there was no one more composed, more resilient, more forceful, more upright, and more balanced than Abu Bakr radiallahu an at the times when he needed to be. He was firm when even the warriors' resolve was shaken. He was determined when even Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an was in doubt. And when, when others were confused, Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an suffered not a moment of confusion. He was balanced. The story of the rebellions after the Prophet ﷺ passed away, his resolve, his determination, his firmness. The story of the Prophet ﷺ's passing away and how Abu Bakr came, delivered a speech and took control of the affairs. فَحَبَّسَ أَبُو بَكْرٍ نَفْسَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ لِيَسْحَبَهُ So Abu Bakr kept himself behind for the sake of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam so that he may accompany him. And he fed fodder to two camels which were by him. He fed them the fodder of the leaves of the acacia tree. The very famous tree, Samur, found throughout Arabia, known as the acacia tree. It features prominently in many ahadith. So he, uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he fed fodder to two camels that were by him, and he specifically fed them the leaves of the acacia tree, waraq al-samur. Wahuwa al-khabat. The narrator explains the meaning of samur. Uh, sorry, the manner, al khabat, and this was the striking and the rustling of the leaves. I, the Arabs even had a name of if you hit the leaves, if you shake and stir the leaves with a stick from a tree, with the specific intention of causing the, those leaves to drop to the ground, so that the herds or flocks of goats and sheep may eat then that manner of hitting the leaves so that they drop casually is known as khabat. So they even had a specific name. وَهُوَ الْخَبَطِ أَشْهُرْ He fed them fodder of the leaves of the acacia tree for four months. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, as soon as he learned this, that means the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, before the actual hijrah, and even before the Pledge at Aqabah. He had already made plans to travel for the Hijrah. He was only waiting for Allah's permission. So Abu Bakr began making preparations himself. And this feeding of the camels lasted for four months. Qal ibn Shihab, Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, the, one of the pivotal narrators of this hadith, he says, Qal Urwah says, because Ibn Shihab narrates from Urwah, قال عروة قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها عائشة رضي الله عنها These chains are very important and Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri was one of the pivotal narrators of the hadith the teacher of Imam Malik and many others he died in 124 Hijri 
And the person he narrates from is Urwat ibn Zubayr, who died in 93 or 94 Hijri, both narrations. And Urwa was the nephew of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. So here he mentions that chain. So Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri says, Urwa says, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha says, فَبَيْنَمَا نَحْنُ يَوْمًا جُلُوسٌ Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, she herself passed away in either 58 or 59 Hijri. 58 most likely. فَبَيْنَمَا نَحْنُ يَوْمًا جُلُوسٌ فِي بَيْتِ أَبِي بَكْرٍ Whilst one day we were seated in the house of Abu Bakr, في نحر الظهيرة, in the height of the afternoon, meaning the peak heat of the afternoon. نحر means the upper part. قال قائل لأبي بكر, someone said to Abu Bakr, and in one narration it's mentioned that this was her oldest sister Asma رضي الله عنها who was there. So Asma رضي الله عنها said to her father Abu Bakr, هذا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم متقنعا. Here is the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam who's come mutqanni'a covering his head and this was in the heat of the afternoon and we learned at the beginning of the hadith that Aisha radiyallahu anha said not a day would pass without the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam passing by us and visiting us in the morning and in the evening but he wouldn't come in the afternoon and why was this surprising because of the heat they would normally rest and take the afternoon, qaylula, the siesta. So she says that suddenly the Prophet ﷺ arrived at our house in the heat of the afternoon, uh, an inopportune time. So my sister said to my father that this is a messenger of Allah who's come, and he's come having covered his head. في ساعة لم يكن يأتينا فيها at a time when he would normally not visit us. فقال أبو بكر so أبو بكر رضي الله عنه said فداء له أبي وأمي من my father and my mother be his ransom. They would begin every sentence with these words. فداء له أبي وأمي من my father and my mother be his ransom. والله ما جاء به في هذه الساعة إلا أمر. By Allah, nothing has brought him at this hour except a great matter. قالت, she says, Aisha radiyallahu anha, فَجَاءَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ So Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam came, فَاسْتَأْذَنْ And he sought permission to enter. فَأُذِنَ لَهُ So he was granted permission. فَدَخَلْ So he entered. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ لِأَبِي بَكْرِ So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to Abu Bakr, أخرج من عندك. Remove whoever is by you. I.e. whoever else is in the house, remove them. فقال أبو بكر so Abu Bakr رضي الله Abu Bakr رضي الله عن said to him إنما هم أهلك بأبي أنت يا رسول الله. They are only your family. May my father be sacrificed for your sake, O Messenger of Allah. Because the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wanted to converse with him in secret and in privacy. So he wanted to ensure that nobody else was there. So Abu Bakr reassured him that there is no one else. This is only your family. My family, this is your family, O Messenger of Allah. Because it was only Aisha anha and her sister Asma anha. قال فإني قد أذن لي في الخروج. Prophet وسلم then informed him. Indeed, I have been granted permission to leave. فقال أبو بكر so Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه said 
meaning I request your company. May my father be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, yes. Qala Abu Bakrin, so Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu said to him, fakhudh, so take, bi'abi anta ya Rasulullah, may my father be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah, ihda rahilatayn, one of these two camels of mine, one of these two mounts of mine. See how in every sentence he says to him, Bi'abi anta ya Rasulullah, bi'abi anta ya Rasulullah, may my father be sacrificed for your sake, may my father be your ransom. So he said, may my father be your ransom, O Messenger of Allah, take one of these two mounts. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bithaman. Imagine the sea. The Muslims are being tortured and persecuted. Many have already left, either and taken refuge in a far-flung land as Abyssinia, and others have left and have now taken refuge to the north in Medina. Very few people remain. Only those who are unable to travel or the immediate family of Abu Bakr radiallahu an and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Ali radiallahu an. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is so cautious and prudent that when he enters, he comes at a time when he normally wouldn't come. So it's an emergency. But look at his behavior. It's an emergency, but he doesn't barge into the house. This is his best friend. This is someone whom Abu Bakr anhu says to him, this is your family, O Messenger of Allah. This is the house of someone who is utterly devoted to him. And yet what does he do? For sta'than, he seeks permission to enter. For udhinala, so he is granted permission. For dakhal, so he enters. He maintains his composure and his noble conduct. And the fulfilling of his rights, and the regarding of others' privacy, and their respect at all times, despite the danger to him, and despite the emergency. Then he says, remove those who are with you. He reassures him that this is your family. Then he says, I have been given permission to leave. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu says, I seek your company, your messenger of Allah. May my father be your ransom. He said, yes. So Abu Bakr radiallahu and gleefully says to him, take one of these two mounts of mine, choose whichever one you want, O Messenger of Allah. He's already prepared them for four months. On that occasion, at such a pressing moment, in such an emergency, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam says to him, bithaman only by paying the price. Meaning I'll buy it off you, I won't take it off you. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. As such an emergency. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, Bithaman. With a price. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anh had no choice but to accept. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave it to him. And we learn from Waqidi, that the cost, the, the price was 800 dirhams. 
and the name of the camel was Qaswa. And according to uh, according to another narration, this was Jad'a. But either way, it was either Qaswa or Jad'a. He paid 800 dirhams for it on that occasion. قالت عائشة رضي الله عنها عائشة رضي الله عنها says فجهزناهما أحث الجهاز so we prepared both of them the camels the most rapid of preparations وصنعنا لهما سفرة في جراب and we made for them a spread spread meaning food so by saying sufra, which means a spread, they meant food. So Aisha radiallahu anha says, وَسَنَعْنَا لَهُمَا And for both of them, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Abu Bakr radiallahu anha, we made for both of them sufra, uh, a spread, i.e. of food, fi jirab in a bag. So normally they would have leather bags for water and for provisions, for zad, provisions for the journey. So we prepared food for them fi jirab in a bag. And according to one narration, it was cooked meat. فقطعت أسماء بنت أبي بكر رضي الله عنها قطعة من نطاقها. So Asma رضي الله عن Asma بنت أبي بكر her older sister she cut a piece of her نطاق. نطاق means sash, the belt that's or a cloth or a band that's normally worn around the waist. So in English it's called sash. In fact it's called sash in many languages and something remarkable. The origin is Arabic. Sash comes from Arabic, and it used to be used for a, a piece of cloth which is wrapped around the head for the imama. So in Arabic, originally it was used for the imama, and then when it was imported into the European languages, the word sash, because very few people wore the turban, the sash is worn. Because, in fact, have you seen how a sash is worn? A sash is never worn. Uh, with just a band, but there's always a trailing end. So that's the origin, well, because it comes from the imama, that's the trailing end of the imama. So, nitaq means sash, which is originally an Arabic word. So, Asma radiyallahu anha, فقطعت أسماء بنت أبي بكر قطعة من نطاقها. So, Asma radiyallahu anha, she cuts a piece of her sash. فربطت به على فم الجراب. And with it, she tied the mouth of the bag. Because in their rush and in their hurry, they couldn't find anything to tie the bag. فَبِذَلِكْ سُمِّيَتْ ذَاتَ النِّطَاقِ So, by this she was called ذَاتُ النِّطَاقِ The one of the sash, the one of the belt, the one to the girdle. Now, according to this narration, it's only one belt or band or sash or one piece. But in reality, Asma radiallahu anha, as we learn from other narrations, what she did is that she took part of her sash and she split it into two. So with one, she tied the jirab, the bag, and with the other, she tied something else. So she actually split it into two parts. This is why she's not normally called ذَاتٌ nitaq, but ذَاتٌ nitaqain. The one of two girdles, or the one of two belts, two sashes. And this is why she was called such. Now, subhanAllah, look how much she did for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, her own father, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And yet, the trials and the tribulations of the world are such 
that many men, she outlived her sister. So she was older than Asma, Aisha radiallahu anha. Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha died uh, childless uh, in round about 58 Hijri. And her older sister outlived her by very long. And she had other children as well. Urwa was uh, the narrator of this hadith. The younger brother of Abdullah ibn Zubayr uh, was Urwa. And he wasn't a sahabi, he wasn't a companion. Was, so, but his older brother Abdullah ibn Zubayr was a companion. In fact, he was the first child born to the Muslims in Medina after the Hijrah. Born to the Muhajirun after the Hijrah. But Umm Mu'mah, but Asma radiyallahu anha, she did so much for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and she was called Dhatun Nitaqeen. She had that honor of being called the one of two sashes, two belts, for her service to the Messenger of Allah at the time of the Hijrah. But the trials and the tribulations of the world are such, disloyalty and betrayal are such, that many years later, she had to witness the crucifixion of her own son and the companion, Abdullah ibn Zubayr. Muslims crucified him. Hajjaj ibn Yusuf al-Thaqafi and the others, they bombard. He established a rule uh, after the collapse of the first... Well, after Yazid's death, Yazid ibn Muawiyah, uh, after his death in 63 Hijri, there was confusion and there was anarchy in the whole of the Islamic realm. And Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu an established a khilafah in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And not just in Makkah al-Mukarramah, but in many of the regions of the whole of the Arabian Peninsula as well as Iraq and Shah. And the Umayyad dynasty, they employed their army and their soldiers to attack uh, and to suppress these uprisings. They called them uprisings, and they suppressed them. And they even went and surrounded Makkah al-Mukarramah, where Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiyallahu an was based with many sahaba radiyallahu anhum. And I don't mean crucified in the Christian sense, but rather um, from a, a gibbet. He was hung from a gibbet. So... <coughs> Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiyallahu an was eventually killed and he was hung. And people were fearful to even go there. It took an old woman, the same Dhatun Nitaqain, Asma bint Abi Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu an to go along with some help and bring down the body of her murdered son in that manner, a companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Such is the bitterness of this dunya. And such is a quarrel over power and wealth. This section ends here. Then Aisha radiallahu anha continues with the remainder of the story about from how, about then how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhuma eventually made their way to the cave of Thawr as part of their journey to Medina. And inshallah we'll continue with the remainder of hadith next week. Wasallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala anihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kotha Productions. 
For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.